Welcome to Flash Gordon, the official story of the film podcast. This series will look behind the scenes of the forthcoming book that celebrates the making of the movie from 1980. I'm filmmaker and author John Walsh, and I will take you on a journey through time and space to discover how Flash Gordon has become one of the most iconic science fiction films in the last 40 years. I will be speaking with the cast and the crew and fans of the film and giving you an insight into the making of the book. As we lead up to the publication date, I will reveal details of forthcoming events and there'll be a chance to win copies of the book too. This could be a bumpy ride, so for God's sake, strap yourselves down! Hello and welcome to this very special episode of Flash Gordon, the official story of the film video podcast. Um, I've got somebody here who worked with me on the book and contributed some images that have never been seen before and wouldn't have been seen if it wasn't for this man, Tim Laws from Prop Store. Hello, Tim. Hi, John. How are you doing? I'm very well, thanks. And uh, can you tell me a bit about Prop Store to start with? Yeah, sure. Um, Prop Store has been trading for about 20 years now. Uh, we sell props and costumes as memorabilia. Uh, we recently moved into uh, selling those items on by auction as well, which has been very successful. Um, the company is was founded by Stephen Lane in 1998, and um, you know we've become we're collect, we're all collectors at heart. So uh, we love this stuff. We love tracking it down, uh, and we love selling it and finding finding new homes for it. We're all just temporary custodians of this stuff. So it's uh, it's important to keep it uh, keep the community moving and. Uh, building excitement and uh you know we, we you know we see from this auction catalog that we've we've got 900 items in this auction in all price ranges and uh it's it's an incredible collection it really is the prop store is like a co the collector's collector's place and they collected you didn't they because you were one of the first people to work for prop store my research tells me is that right they, yeah that i was the first yeah uh, uh year two, 2000 i think i started working with Stephen, and it was just the two of us working from his front room um, you know, walking down to the post office every day, sending photographs out, you know, because not everybody had internet back then either. Um, but it was, uh, yeah, it seems like a long time ago. Uh, now we have two offices, one in Los Angeles, one here in London, uh, about 50 employees, I think, all, all told. It's, uh, it's crazy, but we all love it. We're all film fans. That's fantastic. Now, when I was writing this book, Flash Gordon, the official story of the film, I contacted you because um, we'd, we'd worked together on a, on a previous book, Harryhausen Lost Movies, because I'm a trustee yes. of the Ray Harryhausen Foundation. And of course, Ray's made such wonderful films throughout the years that uh, stuff comes across your desk regularly and we help, help you try to sort of authenticate things. And I suppose authentication is, is, a, is a big part of the job, isn't it? It's the provenance, as it's sometimes called. Yeah, it is. Um, and, and that process does vary from, from item to item, you know, sometimes, well, even sometimes when it's come directly from maybe the actor that used it, you know, which, which does happen, we still check it out, you know, we still make sure it matches. Because um, there's no telling what happens on a set, you know, you know, the, the guy could, the actor could receive something from the prop man, so there you are, take it home, but that might be an unused spare, or it might be a you know, a prototype, you know, it, we still check it out no matter who it's come from. Um, and, and that process is, is a very big part of what we do. Now, 
behind you, I can see some wonderful stuff from the Star Wars universe. And of course, you yep. regularly read things in newspapers about, you know, Star Wars robots and costumes and so on, but less so about Flash Gordon. And when I started researching the book, I found that there was very little out there in terms of even photographs for the book. So it was a real kind of detective job we started. But um, but your, your team at Prop Store had some amazing high resolution photography of what turned out to be the largest collection of Flash Gordon props and pieces of memorabilia that we could find anywhere. So you're, you're effectively the number one Flash Gordon uh, props company. And and you've got some amazing stuff, um, exclusive stuff laid out in front of you there today, Tim. What yeah, can you tell me about yeah. that? So obviously with, with Flash Gordon being filmed in the UK, a lot of the crew guys are still around who worked on that film. Um, props and costumes had little or no value back then when Flash Gordon was around. Um, so people took them home, you know, it was probably going to end up in the skip. So people took props home, they took costume pieces home for whatever reason. And for the majority, most part, they kept it. And now this stuff has a value. Flash Gordon, as you know better than anyone, has an incredible cult following. Um, it, it seems to be more popular now than it's ever been. And, um, you know, this stuff still, still comes along. And the pieces I have in front of me um, have come, not all of them, but the majority from one collector and the condition of them is what's really special about these. I mean, I don't know how 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 well you can see them there, but the, normally with this with this uh, these fiberglass props, the, the paint flakes off them. And most of the ones we've seen in the past have been in reason, you know, the, the, the condition varies a little bit, but the, it, it can be poor. These are probably some of the best I've ever seen. You know, this this long after the film, uh, these have been really well looked after. Now, it's interesting you say about the value of props, because, of course, Flash Gordon was not considered to be a successful film when it was first shown in cinemas back in 1980. Did very well in Europe and in the East, but but not so well in America. So Dino's plans, Dino De Laurentiis' plans to make three Flash Gordons back to back was shelved. So for, for a great many years, the uh, the pieces of memorabilia, the props, the costumes and the storyboards really had sort of fan interest, but they, were, they weren't of commercial value for those first couple of decades when would you say the sort of the needle started to uh, to go up in terms of value for flash gordon i, I think it's it's um the story of flash gordon is probably the same with most films in that the people buying this stuff now are the people that were kids when that film was out and those those guys and girls have money in their pockets now and they're it a lot of what we do is nostalgia a lot of what we do is recapturing childhood and i think that's a huge part of it so the guys now that are sort of maybe 50 something they've you know may have a few pounds spare in their wallet and this is a, a major part of their childhood and this is this is a, a big part of what we do so it's a big step up from if you wanted to buy a rare star wars figure and i'm I'm quite a, a boy fan of that. I remember when the Star Wars figures came out and pestering my parents to get me the Millennium Falcon and all of the other attachments and various toys. Um, but this is almost like a uh, the Rolex of collecting, isn't it, for, for fans yeah, of Star Wars? Yeah, you're, you're talking about the same, the same things, the, the same principle there. It's just that Star Wars has a bigger, wider following and therefore there's more demand uh, for a similar number of pieces, to be fair. Um, at, but with, with Flash Gordon, it's a movie from that exact same time period you're talking about exactly the same customer but uh maybe a slightly different taste 
Now, it's interesting because uh, Danilo Donato, who was the uh, production designer and costume designer on the film, came up with much of these designs. And they are very different, aren't they, Tim? You wouldn't you wouldn't mistake these as being from other sci-fi films of the time. You wouldn't think, oh, it could be from Saturn Three or from, um, you know, Star Trek, the motion picture. They have a very distinctive look. So when something oh, I, comes on I, your I desk, do you agree. think that's definitely Flash Gordon? Yeah, and the costumes as well. The whole The whole look and style of the film is unique i think i'm not sure i can think of anything that gets close maybe barbarella back in the day was a similar kind of feel to it but yeah you're right when you when you get a, a something arrive from flash gordon it's pretty unmistakable and interestingly barbarella was from the same producer dino de Laurentiis, with the uh, fabulous jane fonda being a sort of a voluptuous space space girl wasn't she and that's some of the same technologies with the flying oh, I, can't say I remember <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't remember it from the time, but uh, I've, I've kind of seen it since. So uh, you've got some pretty significant pieces there. You've got the masks and some hero, um, what are sometimes referred to as hero pieces. And hero pieces yeah, well, are, am I right in saying, are the ones that featured on camera? Yes. So, well, we've got a kind of a selection of everything here. Um, the the Hawkman gun to my, to my right here is interesting. It's a special effects piece. So I, I'm not sure we, we don't have a very good zoom facility on this particular camera, but this has a, uh, a toggle switch on the underside and also uh, uh, a PowerPoint on the, on the, uh, on this side here, which would have allowed for the, uh, the, the barrel to, to flicker with a, with a strobe light. The, the bulb, there's evidence of the bulb still there, but I've never seen a special effects uh, Hawkman gun in the, 20 or 30 years. That, well, I've been collecting for 30 years, been here at Prop Store for 20, and this is the first one of these I've ever seen. Hero's hit! I'm going in after him! Infectious boy! Oh, well. Who wants to live forever? <laughs> and the same for the, for the Ming gun here as well. It's a very similar setup. We've got a, a PowerPoint on this side and a trigger mechanism on the underside there. Um, the, the piece, the bulb is all missing from the front, but all the attachments are there. But because of the way these were constructed, just kind of solid fiberglass units, there's no way of getting back into them now and kind of powering them up again. But with the condition of this and the fact that it's a special effects gun really makes it an exciting piece. And as you say, because it's a one-off film, there's very much, there's a, there's a cap, isn't there, on, on the amount of props and pieces and models that would be available from this singular film. That, that's true. And the other thing with this fiberglass, because it chips and flakes so easily, the condition of them is, is generally, for the ones we've seen in the past, is very, very poor. And I know I've seen broken ones and smashed ones, and, and those probably don't survive. You know, a lot of them would have not survived filming. And then the ones that have gone into the collector's market are, you know, there, it, it is a, a finite number, and I would say it's diminishing. So when people come and knock on the door and say, I'm looking for certain pieces in terms of wish list, what would you say for Flash Gordon? If you could go back in a, in a Doctor Who's TARDIS and go on the sets and have a rifle through when they strike the sets, was, is it the models? Is it the Hawkmen wings? Is it Flash Gordon's T-shirts? Uh, that's just what I was going to say. Flash Gordon's T-shirt. I think that is the signature piece of the film. Uh, a year or two ago, we did have the red leather jacket, which I thought was a really nice costume piece for Sam Jones. Uh, but I think if anybody could have a single item, it'd probably be that T-shirt. Originally, the production designer wanted to do a Diamondique version of it. So Flash was going to be wearing an entirely Diamondique style vest and leather hot pants. And director Mike Hodges says, nah, that's not happening. You know, this film is as outrageous already as it is. 
Um, no, I so, think that's so really a good decision. Yeah, good decision. <laughs> now, I'm always very interested in the spaceships um, from the film, and, uh, and the design of those is really distinctive as well. Have you have you come across many of those in your in your travels? No, we've, we've had a very few model miniature pieces, um, but they they are super scarce, and we've not handled any any of those directly. I don't think not from my memory. My memory's not as good as it used to be, but I don't I don't seem to recall. Uh, those, those pieces are rare. I know of a few pieces in collections, uh, but not ones we've handled. Now, the film itself has got its own sort of reputation and, and legend around it. And Studio Canal, who we worked with to, to do this new book, have restored the film in 4K. And, and I was really hopeful that they might find some of the deleted scenes because we have photographs of deleted scenes in the book that show what could have been and so on for the ending, um, for a spider sequence with Dale, um, for the arrest of Princess Aura, um, so, so there's, there's lots potentially still out there. How much do you hope that one day someone will come knocking on your door with, with, a, with a big box of stuff and say, look, I've inherited this house, we've done a clear out, this could be from Flash Gordon? A good example of this last year was that we, we sold a Stormtrooper helmet in our auction, uh, it went for almost 200,000, so it, it grabbed a few headlines. And then on the following Monday, the phone rang, and it was a lady saying that she'd had one of these Stormtrooper helmets that her mother had uh, got at Elstree Studios. She was a cleaner there and she'd had it in her cupboard for 40 years. And it's not a, a story I haven't heard before, but with all the publicity, I, I just said, sure, please send me some photos. I'll take a look for you. And sure enough, she had a, store, a Star Wars helmet from A New Hope. And as well as it being a real cash in the attic find for her uh, and really exciting, um, as far as the Star Wars community goes, it's a brand new item. It's, it's it's not an it's a new star wars helmet into the marketplace that nobody knew even existed and it was just sitting in this lady's cupboard um for 40 years now she knew what it was um but it was only after our auction she realized the value and that kind of thing happens all the time you know our, the publicity we generate um stimulates people to pick up the telephone or drop us an email and you really never know what you're going to get and uh, th this stuff came out of the blue um this is a guy who's had the you know, majority of this stuff for for a long time and has now decided, you know, as I said, we're all temporary custodians. He's decided now's the time to let another collector enjoy them. And uh, like I say, that's the most exciting part of what we do, I think. It is close to confession, Your Majesty. Should we stop the torture? No. Father! Damn you, Father! Now there at the front, that looks like a Clytus mask that Peter Wingard would have worn as Clytus in the film, is that right? Yeah, that's, it's interesting you mentioned the deleted scenes because that Clytus mask was uh, originally attached to a skull and it's a deleted scene where um, they travel, um, is it, you'll know better than me because it's a deleted scene, but apparently they go back to a home planet and there's the, the skulls and these masks are dotted around as part, of the, uh, as part of the set. So the style is the same as the Peter Wingard mask um, it's lost its uh, colour, but um, not worn by Peter Wingard, but it's really, really nice. It's a, it's a great reference. Yeah, we have it in the book, and it's um, at the end of the film, as we know, it's where the, the wedding is crashed by Flash and, and the Hawkmen. That wasn't the original ending for the film. That was the start of a big fight that involved um, Miming the Merciless actually converting himself into other characters and other creatures. And there was this major confrontation with Flash and all of the, the Hawkmen and the, uh, and the, and the Aborian tree men but uh, of course there was no time to shoot that there was plenty of money this is the this is the terrible irony on flash gordon they had lots of money but very little time so mike hodges was pulling pages all of the time and this sequence that you're talking about tim with uh, with the skulls um it was filmed 
So I don't, I know that much and I have some photographs of it, but the footage has yet to be located. So um, it'd be very exciting to locate that footage in a future release of the film, I think. See, I told you you'd know more about it than me. <laughs> well, I've, I've written the book. So if I didn't, I'd be in, <laughs> it'd be in big trouble. They'd want to know how comes I don't know. So in terms of your own archive, because we've relied on you for this book and the Harryhausen book and another book, which I can't talk about yet, but that you're already helping me with, which I'm very grateful for. Um, you've become an archive in yourself, really, because you're documenting these props in, in high resolution photography. And the catalogues that you publish are actually collector's items as well, aren't they? Yeah, that's that's part of it's it's kind of a byproduct of what we do, but it is very important. We're we're well aware that some of these pieces will disappear into collections and private institutions and not be seen again. You know, for you know, everybody has their own reasons for for purchasing these items, and it's very important that we maintain a record of of what we've had for uh, as well as for our own use uh, to research. Um, it's 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 noting history as we go, as you say, for your book. Um, it's a great reference and we're happy to provide it. Your catalogues sell out as well, don't they? There's a demand for yeah. previous catalogues. Yes, the, the catalogues we wanted from day one for the catalogue to be almost a coffee table book. We wanted it to be um, a reference and an interesting guide. The descriptions we write and the photographs we take, it's all very important that, again, we're documenting history. And at the same time, it's an interesting thing that, you know, somebody might come around to your house, pick up the catalogue and start flicking through it and, you know, we, we may find a new a new interested person there, or, or we might just find somebody who just appreciates what we've done. And that's a, that's a big it's a big important thing of what we do. Now, Christmas is just around the corner, of course, and the 40th anniversary of Flash Gordon is the 11th of December for the UK and the 8th of December for the US. So, um, how much are all those kind of three dates in in your mind when you when you're presenting new items such as these? Well. Because we moved to the auction platforms for the majority of the items, we're, we're kind of guided date-wise by that. But there's there's definitely um, processes and thoughts that go into anniversaries, sequels, um, renewed interest. Um, it, it is definitely a factor of how, how we play it. Um, 40 years, it doesn't seem like 40 years ago, does it? But um, yeah, that, that's certainly going to generate more interest because there will be, like your book, you'll have anniversary editions, prints, um, the, the new 4K restoration, all of this goes into keeping that film alive and interest uh, well and truly with us. Now, when finally, Tim, can people get a, a chance to bid on some of these items? Yeah, right now, actually, the, the catalogue went live today. Um, uh, so you can go online to propstore.com forward slash live auction. Uh, all your information is there. You can bid uh, online. You could register to have a phone bidder clerk with you uh, on the day. So it's effectively being in the room with these COVID times. We're not uh, having any uh, live bidders in the room, unfortunately. Uh, but the whole catalogue is there, 900, over 900 lots, 350 different TV and movie productions. Um, I've all tastes are catered for as well. We've got items starting at a couple of hundred pounds going right up into six figures. Um, so something there for everyone, I hope. Stop at nothing please drop me a line at auction at propstore.com if you have any questions. Um, and I'm happy to um, talk about any of the pieces you see here, any pieces in the catalogue. If so any of the Flash Gordon fans want to have a personal Zoom call and I can show people uh, directly these items, happy to do that. Emails, no problems at all. Um, and I think you'll enjoy this catalogue because it's, uh, it's full of some really, really nice Flash Gordon items. And the catalogue is available to purchase online now as well, too, uh, as well as it being completely free and digital, a digital version as well. 
I remember growing up, of course, with the Argos catalogue and a few other catalogues that my mum would have. And I'd always zoom straight to the toy page and try and sort of highlight what I want. And of course, what you've done is you've created like the ultimate catalogue because I've looked at a recent one you had where you had some wonderful stuff from the original 1979 Alien. And I was like, oh, yes, I'd like that. I'd like that. Oh, I'd like that. And uh, it's, um, it's, it's very exciting to page through and see what you could, what you could get. Yeah, that is the, the downside, actually. Usually I find there's a little bit too much in there and um, the, the credit card won't quite stretch to, to everything we want. But uh, it's a good reference. And like, as you said earlier, it's a really nice, makes a, for a really nice book in its own right. Well, Tim, good luck with the auction and uh, may I wish you a happy Christmas and there'll be a copy of Flash Gordon winging its way to you very soon. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Copyright in Flash Gordon, the official story of the film podcast, is owned by John Walsh and Titan Books Limited, under license from King Features Incorporated. Audio from the film is courtesy of Studio Canal. This recording may not be reproduced in whole or in part without written permission from us. The views expressed within these podcasts do not necessarily reflect those of the associated companies or its employees. For further terms and conditions, please contact us at our Facebook page, Flash Gordon, the official story of the film.